0: I find it quite exhausting actually like podcasting. Um if I yeah, do like
1: thank God it's Friday. Yeah.
0: It's uh no, sometimes I come off like an hour and a half podcast, two hour podcast, and I'm knackered. I need to go like I need to go have some lunch, I need to go to the gym and go for a walk and refresh. So yeah, well I mean for people who don't know who you are, who don't follow you on LinkedIn, do you wanna just give like an intro of who you are, your background and what you what you do, and then bring us up to like the present day of you know setting up Restack?
1: So hi, everyone. I am Holly Langley uh, from ReStack. Um, my background is I started off in my career uh, as ex- executive assistant, personal assistant, and then over time uh, moved up that that, so is that corporate ladder, you could say. And um, it's really the whole journey I've been on is very funny because when I was younger, the one thing I did not want to do was work in an office. I was adamant I didn't want to work in an office, and yet, yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, so, yeah, so I started off as a personal assistant and executive assistant, covering ad hoc tasks, travel bookings, you name it. I then moved in into business operations support uh, for a recruitment agency. So that involved more um, the HR side of staff, office management, compliance, and some sort of sales processing staff looking after the CRM and the suppliers and the technology and then I eventually became the head of operations which obviously was more responsibility but very much I suppose organizing and coordinating what was going in that business and that was actually happening across uh, the UK and Germany as well and so I was very much the go-to person for all um, operational things um, that, that was going on within that business, and I I really loved it. No two days were the same. It was an incredible experience, and I learned so much from a back office point of view and also the the sales point of view. Um, but it got to a point earlier on this year when I was no longer sort of fulfilled by doing that, and what I really really wanted to do was go and help other recruitment agencies about. I think it was about 18 months ago, I read a really, really good book by Simon Sinek. And I think it's called Leading from Purpose or Leading with Purpose. I'm sure we can put a link uh, in the comments later on. And that really inspired me that what I wanted to do was grow other agencies. So ever since then, I was trying to find ways in which I could do this. So earlier on this year, I handed in my notice. I got rid of all of the sort of security that I had from being in my role for so long. And I've set up my own company, and um, so yeah, so we're called Restack. Choosing the name was probably the hardest thing that I had to do, <laughs> mm. but we got there in the end. And um, I, I I now work with agencies, big or small, one client or uh, so one a member of staff or five hundred members of staff, and I'm helping them grow and sort of maintain a sustainable recruitment business, which could be anything from analyzing the technology they use and the processes they have through to supporting them on um, advice on how to make sure their sales um, processes are watertight so they don't have um, unnecessary uh, candidate turnover uh, so we can reduce the risk of sort of candidate rebates and dropouts but increase um, sort of the, the, the rehire Uh, and the referrals that that business is getting. So it's been a hell of a journey and um, I've got to say, I've so far, I've loved every minute of setting up and running my own business. Uh, It has been incredibly worthwhile and like, and I'm really, really glad that I I took that leap of faith really.
0: That's awesome. No, it's, uh, I, I, you know, as someone who did it like just over a year ago, I've got mad respect for anyone who goes self-employed because it, Especially when you've been in a role or an in industry like a while, you, removing that security blanket is very scary. But yeah, I feel like I feel like if you're if you're naturally entrepreneurial and you've got that calling, it's it's it, if it when you are I think to make it to put it in a simpler way, I think when you start it, you realize quite quickly if you're the type of person who should be self-employed or wants to be self-employed or not. Because I know a lot of people who have done it and then four months later, they've gone back working for someone else. And I also know people who have done it and the thought of getting a job again and working for someone else is like terrifying for them.
1: I, I really agree with you there. And uh, my husband is, is employed in, a, in, a, in a quite a large company and we often have this conversation and I say, "I couldn't go back to being employed now i I think I've really struggled because I love the freedom i've come on, I've recorded this podcast with you today. It's taken a couple of hours out of my out of my time, but I haven't had to sort of speak to everybody and get permission to do that. I haven't got to worry about what I'm missing elsewhere. I can be fully accountable for all of my actions, and that is really, really." really valuable to me. And I can't put a price on the balance that running my own business has is, is given me. And I, I'm not going to lie to you, there are days when I've done far too much work. And I'll get home um, or with a client, or I'll have to go log on and do some more bits. But then there are other days, and I, I won't do as much. But it all balances out. And it gives me certainly the balance that I need, that I want for my life. Uh, both sort of professionally and and personally as well, and I think it's it's really suited me uh, and sort of my my work ethic. Now, what's fascinating is I recently had a two week holiday, so I was off for two weeks, and it my whole time I thought I can't wait to go back to work on that Monday because I'm not going to be sort of it, have I'm not going to have to go back and do so much work because. I'm not employed. So it's going to be really easy transitioning back. There'll be no holiday blues for me because I'm in control. That Monday morning was awful because I didn't have to go into the office and I didn't have to go and do work. But I kind of said to myself, no, I've got to do work. I've had two weeks off. I went out for a walk at like 11am, which I never do. But then I kind of reset, got back into it and had a really good afternoon. But I've now learned that even though in my mind it might be a bit easier to come back after a time being off, actually it's harder than I thought it was going to be. So I'll probably have the same thing over Christmas. Maybe that first day uh, back in January uh, when I'm back to work, maybe take it slightly easier, have a bit of time to rest so I can get back into it. Because you kind of, there is a less accountability, but equally I knew if I didn't show up and work that day, I wasn't going to win my next new client or support my client in that way or get that testimonial done or that meeting booked in. So that's the thing that drives me is always trying to be the best and get the next uh so the next client in and to to grow my business more and who knows where that next client is coming from right
0: yeah it's it's an interesting one actually because i'm the same I, i i definitely used to get the holiday blues and i never get that anymore because i'm i'm in control of when i work and how i work i know exactly what needs to be done i know what doesn't need to be done, and yeah I, I suppose I suppose for me anyway personally it's because you'll grow it like if you do that extra work those extra hours those long long weeks it's because you're actually like investing in your your own little thing rather than growing someone else's, and yeah. you're not disposable like you can't just be fired and, and replaced i I sort of liken it to paying rent to a landlord whereas compared to like paying a mortgage because you're still putting that money in every single month still coming out of your bank account every month but the difference with a mortgage is it's basically going back into your pocket eventually whereas with rent it's just gone and that's all money that you could be spending you know building your own little your own little property
1: that's a really interesting analogy yes. um actually just yesterday i was speaking to a friend of mine who um is is paying rent but the landlords are her parents so she was right. a bit like, "I oh, really we really want to buy somewhere, but you know what renting isn't that bad, and we're giving the money to our our family we're keeping it within our family, so it's 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 okay it's bearable and i I think you're right, and like for me, the biggest thing that I've kind of learned uh one of the biggest things I've learned since i've started is and I'm sure you feel the same is." There's no way of knowing where your next client or your next lead or your next bit of work is going to come from. So, you kind of have got to put yourself out there in a variety of different capacities, which is incredibly time consuming when it's just you on your own as a small business. But you have to do it and you have to go that extra mile. And that's where I think successful entrepreneurs kind of succeed because they've got multiple different avenues. Of a business, so when I first started, I just kind of thought to myself, "Well, I'll just be on LinkedIn all the time because that's what I know, that's where all my recruitment leaders are, and I'll go to the odd event and that sort of stuff." However, what I've where I am now at this point in my business is I'm in a a business networking group where we meet weekly, and this morning um, there is a recruitment um, leader there who I'm now in conversations with. I'm on YouTube making YouTube uh, content for people who, who can get my advice for free. Um, I'm on all the social channels. What have we got? We've got Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, all of, uh, Twitter, whatever else, and, of course, LinkedIn. I'm at events. I'm in about five different WhatsApp groups. And actually, to succeed, I think you have to be doing all of this all of the time. But it's hard because it's incredibly time-consuming and with the things like especially social media and the events so you can't you can't even delegate that and a lot of it you can't necessarily get I don't know AI to do because it's very much down to who you are and your personal approach so that's one of the things that I've kind of learned in my in my journey so far is that you've got to be a a master of everything and put yourself out there as much as you can in anticipation that you don't know where your next client is is going to come from now you're obviously in this you kind of do something similar to me we're both on our own do do, do you find that as well you kind of have really learned to kind of just put yourself out there in ways you never thought you'd have to to sort of really build that personal brand
0: hmm so i think i think it's been a lot easier for me because i was already doing that So when I was employed, because I, I, I'm, you know, anyone who knows me, I don't mind attention, you know, like, and that's, that definitely helps with creating content. And I was already building my personal brand on LinkedIn before I was already posting content before, but I think the difference is when you're like promoting your own thing, especially when it's you as well, it's not like a, 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 tech product that you've developed and you've got you know 5 mil angel investment and all that kind of stuff you're like selling your knowledge in yourself um because we obviously do very similar things you you um you help agencies slightly different than how i help agencies but you are like you are selling yourself and your knowledge and your background and how you come across the 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 flip side of that is that any criticism towards your service or towards like your views or your opinions or your knowledge that you talk about it's it can be very easy to take that very personally and I don't know if you've had this yet but I've certainly had days where I've like I've had imposter syndrome or I've questioned myself or I'm like oh maybe I don't know a lot about that Or maybe I'm not good enough to do this by myself. Maybe I should go get some more experience. But the good thing about like chatting with like uh, fellow entrepreneurs is you realize that everyone has that. Like there are some highly successful people that I would love to be in their situation. They make loads of money. They've got massive networks and followings and they've got people begging to work with them or, you know they get messages every week about how they people love their content and even they're like oh, oh maybe you know as soon as you get some criticism or someone says oh you're rubbish your viewpoint is stupid you don't know what you're talking about it, it, it's very easy to take it to heart
1: it is and i i have to say and I, coming from a a background in a a sales environment like it especially in the recruitment industry it's not it, it's not easy it's not an easy simple industry to be in there's always drama if it's a client or a candidate or this or that and it definitely taught me a lot about resilience i i'm a very different person to when i started my career because i've had to build up a bit of i suppose immunity to some of the stuff that goes on and putting myself out especially on the likes of youtube and tiktok I get a lot of hateful comments on there. But, of course, none of them, actually, Thank, thankfully for me, none of them are particularly, like, I'm, I'm not that bothered. Like, someone said I looked homeless the other day. And <laughs> someone just, someone, is just, they're just nasty people. Like, this is, you're stupid. You don't have a clue what you're talking about. I disagree with what you're saying. Blah, blah. To be honest, I just go, fine. I, my response and my process is I, I respond to every comment. Anyone ever puts a comment on social, feel free to test it out if you're listening, but I respond to everything. so I'll just kind of say thank you for the feedback and actually, to the one about me looking homeless, I said, "Oh, it's so a good job I getting my hair cut tomorrow then or, or something like that. So <laughs> that has definitely helped. However, I can't imagine doing this ten years ago or when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. so I'm very lucky that I've built I suppose those boundaries up, and I, I try not to let it come to heart, thankfully. As my business is quite new, I haven't been in a situation where I've got really, really negative feedback from a client or somebody in my network. Inevitably, it's going to happen at some point. For me, I think the most crucial thing, if that was to happen, is to understand why we've got to that point and how we can move on from it. Because your reputation is so valuable, especially when it's just you. So I'm trying to build as many sort of, I suppose, key people in my network and relationships as as many as I can but it's going to be tricky over the coming years for me to make sure I, I can maintain all of them. But that's definitely something that is, is worthwhile. Um, and, and we have to take everything is as, as, as the face value really, haven't you? And and use the, and utilize the positive feedback when it comes. And if it's not so positive, try and learn from that and, and, and move on and try not to take it to heart too much. But interesting, what you said about the imposter syndrome is, um, I, I do struggle with that slightly um and like i've I've recently signed up with a a new client and it's very different to some of the stuff that i've done before for a a number of reasons and and i was like surely they're not gonna hire me like surely they could they could afford to go for a massive um consultancy to do their work like who they probably could pay like half a million pounds to what have you like they could afford they don't need me and why would they choose me but they did uh and I, even now, even I've been working with them for quite a few weeks now, times there are days and I think, why did they choose me? I can't do this. And I kind of have to psych myself up and go, you, like, they have chosen you for a reason. They've chosen you because you're you. you. You do bring value to them and that's okay. So I very much kind of have to kind of almost just look at myself in the mirror and psych myself up a bit to, to kind of get those negative energy, that negative energy out. Um, but yeah, it can be, it can be really hard. And there are definitely times as when you're on your own, like we are where you, it's not all positive, but you've just got to try and make the most of when it is. And when you definitely feel positive, you really use the energy to put something great in place and do your next bit great, your next big piece of work when you're feeling really positive and full of energy.
0: Yeah. The consulting world's a weird one because I don't know. I, I always assumed that like, everyone had their shit together, and the people who were doing it like knew everything. They were masters. They were, you know, they, they had they had an answer for everything. When actually the reality is like, don't get me wrong. Like obviously, a lot of people do know a lot of stuff, but the, I think as humans we have this thing where we look at people who might not even be on the same level as you. It might be le- less experienced than you, have less knowledge, but you look at them. And especially through the lens of social media, and you're like, "Oh wow, they've really got their shit together," and I really don't. Like, like you said, you know, this client's paying me a lot of money to to give, you know, help them solve a problem which I'm not even sure I can solve. But I feel like with yeah. consulting is, it's very important to remember that you don't have to have all the answers, but you you are able to figure them out. That's, that's part of your job, right? It's to figure out the answers. It's not just to have the answer ready, made all the time. That's not realistic. Like we are, we are humans with a brain. We're not a um, a piece of AI software with unlimited storage of data. Um, So yeah, that imposter syndrome is normal. I think that's another thing as well. You've got to remember it's normal. Everyone has it. Like there's a, one of my favorite ever books is um, feel the fear and and do it anyway. I think it's, down there somewhere but it's yeah one of my favorite one of my favorite books and it goes through how like it goes It i don't think it was called imposter syndrome when the book was published in like the 80s but it goes through basically that and how these ceos of multi-million pound companies who are like lauded as these experts in their industry and privately they're actually a bit like why are they why am i a ceo what is going on, Why? Why that? Why is that magazine written a publication about me? Um, I read as well like on imposter syndrome. Michael J. Fox. So Michael J. Fox. I don't know if you've um read his book, but he's got a large like he really struggled with imposter syndrome. Really, really bit like he in his book. I think he just done Back to the Future one or just done Back to the Future two. He was the biggest star. In the world, he's a little bit before our time, obviously. You know, you're born around the same time as me, but um, we all know like he was enormous for quite a few years afterwards. And you know, he was like a, almost a sex symbol as well because loads of girls had crushes on him because of Back to the Future and all this kind of stuff. And he talks quite in depth about how he was he was getting all these parts, being approached for like all these n- big movies, and riding off the fame of Back to the Future. And he was absolutely certain that one day he would wake up and everyone there would be like a big announcement or something like, "Oh Michael J. Fox actually isn't a very good actor," and he was convinced of it he was convinced it was going to happen, so he was so what he was doing um and this is uh one of the reasons I think he says that he thinks it accelerated his his parkinson's disease in the end. he was working nonstop because he just wanted to make the most of um The the moment in the sun, sort of thing, and it's it's just interesting. Like he was one of the most famous people in the world at the time because of Back to the Future and because he just done Family Ties, um, and even he was like, it doesn't matter what people said to him, it doesn't matter how much people paid him, it doesn't matter what media, like what awards he won, it was never enough. It was never enough to like convince him that actually, yeah, you've got your shit together. So I always think of that kind of stuff when I've got imposter syndrome.
1: It's it's amazing what the mind does does to you, and how it how it how it uh, can be a help and a hindrance at the at the same time. Something that I um, wanted to touch on what, about what you were just saying uh, previously was about sort of being a consultant and that sort of stuff, and 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 looking up to others. And I think something that I've also found is that. To leverage my network and get support from others when I when I physically can't do something. I can't do it all. I don't know all the answers. That's fine. If someone came in and said, Holly, can you help our sales team sell uh, get more retainers? No, I can't. I'm not going to do that. But I know someone who can. Can you come and deliver new starter training on the entire recruitment process? Well, not really. I, I But I know someone who can. So, I've really tried to build out my network of other people who are in a very similar position to me because I want to support others and hopefully then they'll refer business back to me. And that's been really, really valuable. Um, but what I've found is, there's, there, especially in tech and, and recruitment technology, there is so much of it. So every day I will speak to a client and they'll go, oh, do you know X, Y, and Z? Or, oh, have you ever used dot, dot, dot? And I can't always say yes because there is so much. So they'll go, well, well, how would that, how would we work together then? And I'll say, well, look, this, this is a piece of technology I haven't used. However, I will spend time in my own sort of, uh, my own capacity that I won't charge to you to learn and upskill myself on this product because that's the best way that I can then learn and support you is by upskilling myself in, in a whole variety of different areas. But that's definitely something that I found quite challenging because I've got no idea what all of the different um, sort of businesses I work with are using from a tech point of view, and there's no way I could use them all or have demos on them all. I'll be here for the end of time, and which point there'll be more stuff coming out. So I've definitely yeah. kind of learned that. Be honest and and build relationships with the suppliers when you can, but also harness the power of your network and rely on others and work with others where you can. And that will hopefully sort of bring business back around to you as well. So that's been something else that's been been really useful. And I'd, again, I'd recommend I'd recommend to others out there.
0: Yeah, it's well, I you sort of touched on like you know what software to use and that sort of thing. Setting up your own business is especially because you you know what you want to do, and you know you you have like that particular um, knowledge of you know operations or technology or you know business development or whatever it is you do but there's so when you set up a business you it's it's very very hard to go into it knowing about everything else you need to know right so like what what challenges have you had in setting up your business like have you had um like products or whatever you've invested in that turned out to be a dud and were, you, you've wasted your time or your money on them
1: so it's, it's, it's an interesting one so when i set my company up um I, I don't know. I don't really know what I was thinking with, with in regards to some things, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. So I, I spent, I've spent money on stuff that I definitely, definitely did not need. So when I started, I built, um, I built a product that I still think is really good. And it was on Power BI. I used someone to help me, and it was measuring um, their ROI from technology. So you would pull in financial data, the data from um, the technology, and the data from your CRM or your database, and that was going to give you a really full overview about what was happening, and and how much your tech was making you. And I still actually haven't found it being done anywhere else. However, no one's actually used it yet. So I've invested in it. It's still sitting there in my in my OneDrive, ready to get used with the client, but. Actually, that's not the service or the product that everybody has needed. What they've wanted is much more unique, specialist, um, stuff and more sort of learning and development, more process mapping in reg- rather than the measuring of the ROI. But that's absolutely fine. I've got it there when I need it, um, and uh, and so hopefully it's more of an investment. But I now wish I hadn't spent my money on that when I did. Um, I've brought some tech for my business now. I use uh, a CRM. To log everything in, that's free, but I've brought some other things to help me along the way, and most of them I do use and have been valuable. But if I knew then what I knew now, I probably wouldn't have signed up for some of the agreements that I had because I just didn't need it, and actually, as setting up your business like cash is king, uh, especially sort of the, in the first few months, so I really could have done with an extra bit of cash here and there um to to have helped me so I definitely would would recommend to any small business owner before you um sort of buy something really really think about it I know I now have a rule it's a bit silly but if it's more than 50 pounds for my business I'm not gonna buy it until I've thought about it for 24 hours I'm very very impulsive so for me like it's really really easy to just go oh go on then Oh, yeah, I'll buy that, but actually that no, I don't need it. So that's my new rule. Wait 24 hours until I commit to buying something just so I can fully think it through. Um, one of the other mistakes I've made um, is sending client proposals too soon. So a few weeks back, um, I had, someone approached me on LinkedIn, um, wanted some advice uh, and some work on their, their, their systems. Um, we had a phone call we were on the phone for 20 minutes i sent a proposal over he seemed re- he seemed really keen on the phone uh so i sent the proposal i actually sent the terms and conditions over as well because that's what they said they wanted uh 2 days later can't can't afford my services and, and i haven't heard from them since so what i've now realized is even though someone seems interested on the phone are they actually, what I'm now doing is I'm not sending out a proposal and definitely not any sort of terms and conditions until I've had a proper meeting with them. Ideally, that would be face to face. But if it's not face to face, uh, like an actual booked in Zoom or Teams call, what have you, is fine. But I'm not sending proposals until uh, until that's happened. And a friend recommended this tip to me If you're sending a proposal to a client, send it via a link rather than a attachment. So like share it, like put it on OneDrive or Dropbox and share that link. Therefore, if you wake up the next day and you realize that you've had a spelling error or you want to add something in, you can just, re the link is up to date. You don't then need to resend them an attachment and go, oh, by the way, sorry, I put that spelling error in there. So that's been a really good um, piece of advice as well uh, surrounding the proposals um, and my third piece of advice which I, I, I kind of touched upon earlier was about sort of social presence and um, like when I started I, I had a big biggish LinkedIn um, network by like 4,000 followers which is uh, pretty good um, and I was just I'd said to myself well all my clients are on LinkedIn so I'm just going to do co- content on LinkedIn so that lasted for two months and I now am, as I said, on all the other channels. So I really regret not putting myself out on all the other platforms way before. Like you had a really good head start because you've been doing that for years. So I really wish I'd done that. I still need to combat Twitter. X, sorry, it's called X now, I believe. I still need to combat um that, but that that is that's a bit of a regret not doing it sooner, but I'm now glad that I do that. And and the WhatsApp groups. So I'm a member of quite a few WhatsApp groups. And what I've realized is a lot of them are just like moaning about suppliers or they're asking for advice. But I kind of wanted to create a bit of a name for myself in the groups. So on, I'm on maybe five or six different groups, but some of the ones that have really got my key target audiences, I've now started to kind of have uh, organized discussions in them. And um, so yesterday I put a message out and I just said, I just wanted to have a quick discussion. What are your thoughts about chatbots uh, as part of the sales process? Does it help or hinder it? Is it useful? Have you had any success from it? So I'm not necessarily giving out advice, but people are going to see my name on those groups more and more and will soon start to build up sort of an understanding of who I am, normally talking about tech and, and the sales process, which is which is really good. So definitely been a few mistakes over the last three months, but i've now learned from them which is the main thing and i'll have to come along in three more months and tell you about the next three things i've learned
0: <laughs> yeah it'd be great it's great to have you back that's the good thing about businesses right it's, it's exciting it's always ever evolving and i spoke to um i spoke to this uh owner of a recruitment business over in miami about a month ago so she's doing amazingly she's been doing it for like 15 years her name's uh, emily keys She's actually just recorded a like Apprentice style TV show over in the states, um, which is pretty cool. But I was chatting with her because, yeah, we were just having a having a chat about BD and stuff, and she was telling me how she runs a very successful agency. You know, they're doing brilliantly, but that little nagging voice of doubt in the back of your head when you set up a business, like. I'm sure you've gone through it. It's just like when you're having your bad days, and you're stressed, and you're tired, and you're doubting yourself, and you're like, oh, "I'm going to run out of money," or whatever. You, it's 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 very easy to have those thoughts of, "Would it just be easy if I just want to got a nine to five? I could get a good salary. I'm good at what I do." Blah blah blah. And she said, "David, if you're having those now, just trust me. It doesn't matter how good it's going." you will still have those thoughts on a weekly, if not daily basis. I do now and our business makes a lot of money. Like, so that sort of, it was good to know that that's, it, it, it's nice to sort of accept that that's not going to go away. Similar to imposter syndrome, really, in that it's just part of, of being self-employed and not having that security blanket. And it probably falls back into like, you know, the whole human thing of um, having security and being able to survive and eat. That's never going to go away. But once you realize it's never going to go away um, and you accept it, when that does come up, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not as worrying. But one thing I want to ask you, right? Because I've always wondered this, and you're, this will make you laugh, you know, being a head of ops. What does a head of ops at a recruitment agency actually do? Because I don't really understand it.
1: Oh, that's a great question. So how can I describe this? So, I, I was the person and if some if you said to me what did I do I I would say to you I do everything apart from recruitment. So let's take a normal week. So on a Monday you'd have perm placement starting. So we would need to liaise with the sales team and say has Joe blog started at John Lewis for example. Right, yes. Okay, finance, you now need to um process this invoice for 20k. But you can't just process the invoice there's probably 25 things that need to be done because you need to log it on the crm you need to you might need to also follow up the references you need to tell this person they've started you need to make sure the invoice is gone you then need to add it to the commission structure whatever that may be so there's just a lot of back office process some of which are quite manual so you're kind of bridging the gap almost between the the accounts team and the, the the sales team also things like hr so recruitment very sadly has quite a high staff turnover because it's not an easy industry a lot of people come and go so there's the hr point of view that i oversaw i also oversaw marketing so everything that was going on from the company's linkedin to the website to the next um conference they were hosting an event at you you had to go along and sort of manage and oversee that as well as the budgets for all of those things um also the sales enablement side of stuff so that was something I was really interested in and partly why I set up my business so I was then going in and educating the sales team about how to use their tech better and the suppliers like we I I probably spent probably three to five hours every week almost a whole day just talking to suppliers about what's working what's not working um have they got any new features out or There's something, a new piece of tech we might want to buy. So you've got to have a demo and then liaise with them. And then obviously people are just calling you constantly trying to get you to buy their next product or their next service and all of that side of stuff. And a lot of it was also I was involved in the management team meetings and the senior management meetings, at which point you're then having to roll out the business's mission and, and sort of strategy to other people, as well as anything that gets thrown at you. It's coming up to Christmas. So you've got to organize client gifts the Christmas party, the targets for next year, wrapping up the commissions for this year, what are the budgets for next year? So there's just a whole load of stuff like that. And you are the go-to person. So if someone's computer breaks, you're supposed to be able to fix it. And if you can't fix it, you've got to find someone who does. And if the office dishwasher breaks, you're liaising with and making sure that the office manager can get that sorted. So the sales team are happy. So they want to come into the office every day. So It's just Hmm. a whole load of, I suppose, admin stuff that's got to get done, but it's got to keep the business going. And you've got to be accountable for it because if you don't turn up and deliver, your sales team uh, aren't going to be able to do their job, which isn't going to bring money into the business. So if you've got a situation when your CRM isn't working or for some reason everyone's LinkedIn recruits has been blocked or paused because the accounts team did not pay their invoice. That's down to you. So you've got to get that invoice paid, you've got to support the sales team and apologize and get them using something else to find their candidates and to do their new business and then you need to liaise with the supplier to get that back up and running like ideally yesterday. So it's just a whole load of stuff and you never know what is going what is going to come in and for example last year um, we opened up an office in Germany. So for 6 months we were fully remotely because obviously we weren't in Germany at the time trying to find an office arranging office visits virtually and then face-to-face dealing with German compliance and making sure that all of the, um, you, you, we were learning about new legislations to fit in with employment law as well as kind of contracts and permanent law for German clients. But it's a whole different sort of, uh, like a whole different way of working over there. And then, and all of the stuff that then came with that. So it's, like, I love the fact it was different every day. And I'm very lucky that my job now still enables me to have that, have that variety. Uh, but it's really hard. And I actually run masterclasses now for people in recruitment operations, teaching them how to manage their time successfully, how to be organized, how to work with suppliers so they can get the most out of their tech and how to almost sort of delegate, delegate stuff to others and, and really sort of get their agency or their business in the best place possible um something that i use which is the best thing that anyone ever told me about was trello so if you're not familiar with trello it is a free project management tool it's similar to i think monday.com as well and you basically it's on google there's um on chrome there's also an app and it teaches you uh basically organization it's like organization 101 so i go on there and i've got a list of everything i've got to do today so today i knew i had to prep for this podcast So at nine o'clock today, a task came up that said prep for podcast. After this, I've got to do some new business calls and I've then got to send a proposal to somebody. And then once I've done that, I'm going to move that into my waiting to hear from. So once I've I've sent the proposal, I'm going to chase them next week and say, actually, I haven't heard back from you. What any news? Do you want any changes to it? Let's have a meeting. So I use that for everything. And once I got away from writing stuff in a notebook or on Excel or Word, that really helped my efficiency and my productivity because everything was there. If you if you said something to me now, I'm not going to remember to do it. So if you literally said, Holly, can you send me that, uh, that, that book, the name of the book? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't do that unless I've written it down. So something that I've learned and a way that I, I suppose, work best is writing everything down and putting it on there. And that's my single source of truth, really. And that's where I log everything. And that makes me Um, really efficient and you can schedule stuff so every Monday I get a reminder at 9am to do my LinkedIn content for the week every Friday I get a notification about a networking group I'm part of so I have to prepare for my meeting there so I use that and I harness it to support me and to get me working in a way that works best really but Trello honestly not a sponsor it's free you don't need the premium version uh, until you're a a, a really well-established business and if you're collaborating with others, but it's absolutely brilliant.
0: Yeah, I um I jump between several different ways of productivity because I've I'm currently in the in the in the stages of getting tested for ADHD, but I'm I'm 99% sure I have it. And uh I jump between Trello, Notion, and good old fashioned mm-hmm. pen and paper, and I still can't decide what I prefer. It really is just like a mood thing. I think I probably use pen and paper more. So the way I do things is... I'll show you. So I use um, the Eisenhower matrix of uh, the the quadrants. So you've got... Yeah. I'll actually show you. I'll show you what I do. Can you see that? Yeah. So I I, I draw that. So a quadrant. Yeah. Can you see that? So I draw yeah. that. And then I've got... Um, yeah, uh, important, yeah. So I went I write out, but basically, um, important and urgent, important, not urgent. Random thoughts that pop into my head, like movies I want to see, things I want to buy, things I want to Google, because I'm very bad at interrupting what I'm doing and Googling stuff. And what I've started using this quadrant for now is content ideas. Um, so I put all my content yeah. ideas there. Then what I'll do is I log my content ideas onto Notion so I've got a little content ideas page um and I highly rec- if you like Trello mm-hmm. I highly recommend you check out Notion because it's like Trello on steroids mm-hmm. um also free and um that's basically how I do it because I always I've used Trello and I think it's really good for certain types of things but the the my issue with it was and it might have just been how I was using it but my issue with it was um prioritization so what i ended up with is a big list of to do but i didn't have it prioritized in any way and without me actually sitting down and thinking about it i didn't know what to start on um but on your on your content though, so you said you so so how do you do your linkedin content then this is what i'm interested in so 9 a.m every every monday you plan and write all your Whoa. content out for the week
1: so yes so what i do is um every monday in and it doesn't always it doesn't always work so i try to write through linkedin content i try to post something uh, monday wednesday friday on my personal page ideally i would post every day but my minimum commitment is is three times i also have a company page so i have to keep two um linkedin pages going now i actually use a product to help me write my LinkedIn content. So it's called, I'm sure they won't mind me sharing it. It's called Pager. P-A-I-G-E-R. And it is a combination of prompts and then it writes the content for you using AI. And you can then schedule it. So I will go in on a Monday and it's got loads of ideas that I've inputted. So for example, it will say on the system, um, like the content, topic would be how um how chatbots can aid the recruitment process and then it is gonna give me I'm gonna press a button and it's gonna give me that. So it's similar to what ChatGPT does but it's kind of saved it all in there. So I will then look at the content. I now for me I want my content to be sound like me. So I'm not just gonna post it. So I then go in and edit it, make it give it the holly touch. So it's more about who I am, and actually my ethos and what I believe in. Because of what I do is very niche, I found out that a lot of the AI content doesn't support it because it's gone off on a, a tangent and it's not really what I what I what I'm sort of saying to everybody. So I then go in, I edit that, and then I sh- save it and schedule the posts for Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I try to work in advance. Like this week, I scheduled a post on Monday. I then had to go onto LinkedIn actually as I did a poll which I then did on LinkedIn and then scheduled that. So for me, I just try to work in advance because like, for example, today, I didn't have a LinkedIn um, plan. I didn't have a post to do today. I'm not going to have time to do one now. It would probably, by the time I finish this call, I probably would think like it's too late. I'm just going to leave it. So for me, first thing on a Monday, I go in and do all my content and that is brilliant. Things like YouTube and TikTok, it's harder because I've got to be, I normally obviously feel myself. So, I've got to be presentable and, and looking professional to film my content. I don't, I'm never sure if uh, who's going to be watching my videos. So, if I look a right mess and I'm lying on, lying on the sofa making a video, that doesn't look, that's not the, the personal brand that I want. So, I then have to kind of have almost have a day where I've like, I know it sounds silly, like I've washed my hair, I'm wearing a, like I'm wearing a, a top or something that, that, that like looks okay and it's clean, and I've got a good background. Then when you're doing content, you kind of need to, and you're on it, you have to be one step ahead from that point of view as well. So there are some days I look at the camera, I'm like, nope, not today. We'll do the videoing tomorrow. Like, but I've learned a lesson because today is Friday when we're recording this, and I've got to get a YouTube video up today. Currently, I've edited it. No, sorry, I've filmed it, and I need to edit it. So I don't want to be in the habit of doing last minute content, but I've left it to the last minute today. And that's really not something I should be doing because I now know when I go in there and edit it, it's not going to be as good quality because I'm going to be rushing. So I really would recommend if you're trying to build out your brand and your, stuff, your personal stuff on, on, and personal brand on LinkedIn or wherever it is, try and do it in advance when you're in the right mindset to do it. And then it's a lot easier and then you can just post it or schedule it whenever you need to really. And I I try to also... Like just use my time wisely. Like I've been commuting up to London quite a lot recently, so I've got half an hour on the train, maybe an hour. Um, the, the signal is terrible. I I find, especially you will get nearer into London. So I then might use that to do my posts or sh- schedule a, an email I've got to send to a client or something like that. So I'm trying to use my time wisely from that point of view as well. So I'm I'm more organised and I'm more ahead about for what what's what I've, what else I've got to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's just, posting content, people don't realize, like, I remember um, before, if you'd asked me before I set my business, like, about social media managers, I would have said, that's such a cool job, it must be so chill. And having done it, there is so much, that like, not even just, not even just about creating the content, like, creating the content and posting it is sometimes the easier bit. The harder bit is, like, Knowing what to post, keeping up with trends, SEO descriptions, boring adminy stuff, engaging with your audience, reposting it to different platforms, re-editing it so it's different ratios, so it fit like all that kind of stuff. It people who don't do it don't realize how time-consuming that is, do they?
1: I'm with you. I, I, I thought it would be easier than it is, and something that that these algorithms that are the bane of my life really, but like to, for your content to be doing good, you've got to engage with your audience. So he, someone who I've been working with stopped sort of, to help with my marketing stuff keeps saying to me, like go on and comment on uh, other YouTube channels, other TikTok channels who are kind of in your audience and your group. And that's actually how we ended up things like was commenting and like your stuff. Um, but it's really hard to do. Because if I spent 10 minutes, just 10 minutes a day, commenting on TikTok videos, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, that's over an hour. And I haven't actually got the capacity to spend one hour every day, just commenting on social media, other people's posts. Like I wish I did. Maybe one day I'll be able to outsource that. But you haven't, but it's so, so important and getting the ideas. And for me, what I found really annoying is, I try to make a mixture of funny content. I put some memes in there. I do some stuff that's about me, so I'll make a video about I don't know me and my cat, or I'm going out for a run or something, as well as my valuable advice for recruiters. so people are kind of getting the whole picture about who I am, so I'm building up a bit of an audience repertoire. but the most this is what really annoys me is I'll make a fantastic video giving out some amazing, free advice for recruiters or for people in sales about I don't know about emails or LinkedIn or whatever it is and it gets 200 views and yet I'll put up a, a USA office meme that's taking me one minute to prepare, it's adding no value to anybody and it gets 10,000 views like it's really annoying but I get it so <laughs> it's just frustrating to know that sometimes you're going to make something and you know it's not going to get many views So I kind of have a bit of a, I suppose you could say, it's a, I do quantity over quality. I try and post on the short form, like TikTok and stuff. I try and post at least sort of five times a week, um, ideally every day, because I know a lot of it isn't going to do well. But if I've had five videos, 200 views, then that's a thousand people viewing it. So it's all just kind of just keeping it going. Just keep that content going, keep commenting where you can um and you just got to get the content out there because eventually it will pay off and in 2 or 3 or 4 years time i don't know how you've done you've looked back and go do you know what i'm glad i started that i'm glad i was consistent because it's now paid off because you've got to have many followers and views per week or month whatever it may be
0: yeah no for sure i th- i think um i think in a lot of industries content and personal branding is where it's going now because because of ai and everything like that um being able to create decent content, video content and knowing how the system works, knowing how the algorithms work and also just having the confidence to do it is always going to set you apart from the people who don't post. I think it's only like one or two percent of LinkedIn users at all post and um, you know many no matter what industry you're in really like very small percentage of those people in your industry actually post. So, if you start posting on YouTube, you start posting on LinkedIn, TikTok, people are seeing your face more. They get to know you a bit more, uh, beyond your sale pitch and uh, they'll buy into you more. And you know, it's a uh, most businesses are a human to human interaction business, so yeah, for yeah. sure. It's it, you're never gonna, unless you do something stupid where you're like, you know, I don't know, you're really controversial, you're racist or something or abusive, yeah, you, you won't regret it. So, um yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I I actually have I've had a few um like TikTok influencers and like TikTok comedians and stuff on this podcast, and um one one of them, one of them was called uh, Fred Asquith, and he was talking to me about like how because he, he's got like two hundred eighty thousand followers or something, right? It might even be higher than that now, but he's doing very very well. Like he gets uh, recognized in the street and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. but he'll spend like. A day or two recording a skit, like a 45 second skit, edited. You know, one of them he did, he actually met up with someone who's also a TikTok uh, comedian. You know, they wrote it, which took a couple of hours. They recorded it, which took a couple of hours. They traveled to somewhere in London to record it and it got like, I think it got like 30,000 views. Whereas he also posted one where he was just like walking. And it was like a minute long run and it got like 800,000 views. And he was just saying like how it, even for them, even for people with like massive followers, their uh, followings, it can be really frustrating because you never know if your efforts and your time is going to be, is, is going to result in, um, in more views. Like it, it, that's not usually how it correlates. Like, and you just don't know. So you can't not put the effort in, but a lot of the time, the video that you think was awesome that, you know, you put a lot of love and care into and you spent ages planning it and editing it. And when you hit post, you're like, yeah, this is going to go viral. Uh, and then it like gets hundred views and never goes further. So yeah, it's uh, I think, I think with content, you've almost got to like, you've got to do it for yourself. And if you think it's good, that's good enough. And then you have no control over whether or not other people like it.
1: And I think don't overthink it um because you could as you said you could spend days trying to film the perfect video it's never going to be perfect and that's okay just you've just got to go with it and, and believe in it and if it's good and the main thing is is you're doing content that your viewers or your target audience or someone on that platform platform finds valuable that's the main thing that's why we're doing it right whether it's funny or you're doing a tiktok dance or whatever it is as long as someone finds it valuable that's why we should be doing this So yeah just go if, if you're not sure if, to, if you if you should launch into that world as an entrepreneur or whoever you are give it a go my piece of advice for the day and i think touching yeah. on about um like ai and, and stuff this is where i kind of i suppose think the the future of i don't know recruitment or the future of sales is going is it, it's the personal touch now there's a lot of as i mentioned earlier like chatbots and Uh, AI tech coming in and like you can use automation to send automated emails out or to send automated text messages out or leave voicemails when you haven't even made contact with that person and these things are brilliant but sales and recruitment is people and the automation and the AI that we that we have is and is only going to get more complicated as time goes on is going to be so important at supporting people in their roles it's never going to take it over but the recruiters who are using ai and automation to support their sales process their aftercare process their their leads or what have you this is going to be the ones who are the the most successful and your people aren't just going to buy from a a chatbot or a cold email like i i've had cold emails Again, even now in my new business, I'm getting, someone's trying to, what are they trying to sell me? A new website. I'm not, I'm obvious, I've got a website. I'm not going to use it. However, that's an automated process. If they picked up the phone and they rang me, we'd be more likely to have more of a call. All of a sudden, you've built a relationship with a person that we didn't have before over email. So I believe that the relationships and maintaining the fact that recruitment is and sales is is sales and people-based, that they're going to be the people who get ahead, the ones who really use the AI and automation to support their processes. They get prompted on what to do at the right time. So they'll get a notification that says, right, you've got to go and call so-and-so so today. It's time for your two-week check-in with them. They're going to be the ones that are really, uh, I think, getting ahead and, and and sort of grow their business. So it's definitely not something to be scared of that um, you really need to make sure that you're harnessing the power of it, powers of it in the right way to support what you need in in your business and your so sales pipeline
0: yeah yeah, no, for sure it's it's going to be so interesting to see how certain aspects change um, with AI, and it's just going to be interesting to see where AI evolves really generally like you know chat GPT is yeah. what we're seeing now is the dumb version like in in ten years' time we'll we'll look at this as such. Basic stuff, and um, I can't see, I can't see like sales and recruitment personally changing too much fundamentally. I think maybe the role of a consultant might change, but I think that human element is always going to be there at least, at least for the next sort of 10, 20 years. I mean, I don't know if you've seen uh, that Tesla video of that um, AI cold calling and booking in a meeting
1: no i haven't that sounds good though i'll have to look at that
0: yeah if you just, i think it's called like tesla air or something but basically um the uh, this this person expresses an interest online the ai calls uh the prospect and then books a meeting with them it's quite cl- it's, it does sound good but there's a slight lag in the responses um and yeah, you, you you know it's not actually a person, but I don't think the person on the other end did. But what I would say as well is the the person they booked a meeting in with, they use an example, he was very warm. He was going to book a meeting anyway. Like okay. even on the call, he's like, yeah, all my friends have booked a meeting. Uh, sorry, all my friends have got Teslas. I want to buy a Tesla. So it wasn't like a cold call. You know, I, I'm not... I I watched that and if anything to be honest with you it it made me feel actually a bit better around like how long humans have of doing cold calls Um, I can't see AI doing them effectively for at least 10 years personally but it's going to be interesting I mean a lot of of, I mean there are agencies out there right now who haven't invested any money in technology they have spreadsheets and stuff so there's always going to be those early adopters there's going to be those late adopters and I think fundamentally, though, like you said, in sales and recruitment, it's it's a human to human business. Because the, the example I always use, as well, just to sort of wrap up this point, is the way I see AI cold calling going is there's going to be legislation and regulation, and I imagine there'll be something along the lines of when you get called cold called by an AI um and uh, AI call bot or whatever you want to call them, they'll have to they'll have to make you aware at the start of the call that it's an AI callbot. So, hey, Holly, um, just just to let you know, first of all, I'm an AI bot. you know, you're right, to, you're right to chat. As soon as you know that's not a person, your emotional connection and reaction to them is so different. Like, you have no problem hanging up on a robot. But if the person on the other end is human and they sound genuine and maybe you sympathize with them or empathize with them, uh, you might give them a time of day. And you're, I just don't think you're ever going to get that sort of connection with, with AI. Like even email sequences, we're always suspicious now if that person has actually written that email. So and that, that, I, in my opinion, that affects your, your, how you respond. I don't know what you think.
1: I, I do agree with you. Like if I knew, I, I just think it's very obvious when someone has not written it. Like I've got, I, think, I actually got a text message this morning from my dentist. Uh, what did they say? So this is, this is the this is the message that I, re, I genuinely received this morning from my dentist. Hi, first name. Dr. Patricia, our orthodontist, will be offering a free consultation for a limited period during November and December. And that is just genuinely the dentist that I go to. And I thought, actually, hi, first name. My name's Holly. I've been going to you for 15 years. Like, they haven't done that. If someone had called me, or potentially just drop me a personal text. Do you want to? Like, I'd probably be more likely to respond, but I immediately shut down. thought they had, they haven't got their name right, sort of thing. Um, yeah. I might reply to them and tell them. And um, but I think yeah, I think you're right. Like I I I'd be reluctant. To, I personally would be reluctant to speak to a robot unless I really had to. But I think the experiences that I've had have never been good. If you go through something like if you bring up your mobile phone provider. Um, why are you calling today? And you go, contract renewal. I don't understand that. So, or whatever you think. And then you're there for 20 minutes to trying to get through to the right department shouting down the phone. So I think we've kind of got a bit of a wall that those robotty type messaging services aren't good, but it's going to have to have a purpose. And like, I think people still need to send. Um, I think there's a there's a time and a place for these sort of messages and calls and emails. But you've got to make it personal where possible. Now, what's interesting is quite a lot of my clients were, like, maybe 18 months ago, sending out really well-formatted um, emails to candidates, like, almost in, like, a proper, I think, is it called HTML? Like, really well-formatted with images, and it looked lovely. Actually, there's been a switch, and the last few months, everyone's going, we just want, like, plain text or whatever it is. Literally just put it in the body of an email. Don't worry about the design because they've now realized that when it's all formatted formatted so lovely at that, people know it's not real. I, I get that. Um, but I think for me, I, I like personalization. Now, there are more and more things out there. Something in our industry that's kind of taking the, the industry by storm is something called Source Whale. And that is really good. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's really good about personalizing the outreach. So it kind of gets you to connect with somebody. Then you view their profile. Or then you send them a LinkedIn um, thumbnail that's personalized to them. So they've really created a really great product that is very much about personal, actual personalized BD stuff. And, and that works. And I think it's the, when you're doing something like that, the personalization of it is key. But get it right. If you want to personalize something, don't put in their dear first name because that's not going to work. So you've got to get it right. And um, and and those who are, I generally think will really succeed.
0: Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's going to be going to be super interesting. Um, yeah, over the, over the coming months, see what happens in the coming years. But uh, yeah, look, thanks so much for coming on. It's been it's been a really interesting, great chat. If people want to work with you or find out a bit more about around what you do, where do they need to go?
1: So if you Google um, Restack, that's R E S T A C K um i've got uh, and you can search for that on any of the social platforms and my name is obviously holly langley and i'm on linkedin and other places as well so i'm sure you'll find me i will comment below um on the the videos and the 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 posts about this podcast so you should find me down there as well so yeah thank you very much for for hosting me it's been really insightful yeah i'll be back in maybe another three months to tell you what i've learned in the months three to six of my business as well
0: Yeah, that'd be awesome. Love to have you back on. Well, thanks so much. And um, yeah, go check Holly's stuff out. I'll stick it all in the description and the bio and whatever, wherever you're you're watching or listening to this.